BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Well, the Milwaukee Bucks loss is the podcasting and writing world's gain. Seth Partnow, back among the living after uh, a couple of years with the Milwaukee Bucks. How are you, Ben? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me back. It's uh, it's it's an honor just to be nominated. <laughs> well, but who says that you're not winning, though? Uh, well, you know, it's 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 all politics, man. But it's an honor just to be nominated. Just to, I'm I'm on stage with the you know the finest actors in the world. So you know, it's it's really I'm not mad. You're mad. <laughs> all right, man. Let's uh let's get started here. We we got a lot of stuff that I wanted to ask you about. You've been writing about you know really two three times a week. It just Again, it's great to have you back because a lot of what you're doing is really pushing the frontiers of our understanding about NBA basketball. And the thing that you've been talking about a lot this year, which is something that I've been struggling a lot with as well, is you had a great term for it in your piece. You called it heliocentrism. Basically, that a lot of these teams now are so focused on one guy, James Harden, Luka Doncic, Trey Young are, are probably the most obvious examples. LeBron as well is really the only playmaker uh, for a lot of this year with the Lakers, with Rondo out. And so you came up with a, a metric to quantify this. What is it called again? True usage? Is that what you uh, I, I originally called it uh, when I first came up with it. Uh, Several years ago for nylon calculus, I called it true usage. I've, I've started calling it total usage now because true usage sounds kind of dickish in that, like, oh, I have the answer. <laughs> it's, you know, so it's, you know, it's, uh, I think total usage is probably uh, better because it's, you know, we're, we're used to talking about usage in terms of scoring, but we also have the tools to talk about playmaking. And once we're there, can also you use possessions, but unfortunately, by turning the ball over. So, kind of breaking it down into those component parts and then you can kind of see with a little bit more granularity how players are kind of uh driving a team's offense and uh the, and also it's it's just a better way of comparing turnovers to what a player is doing a uh, traditional usage um you you look like a lower turnover player by shooting the ball more which seemed wrong somehow because you were kind of that's the only kind of good outcome in the traditional turnover percentage metric is is a, is a shot increases the denominator uh but only bad things can happen from the standpoint of turn turnovers if you pass the ball so that seemed um that didn't seem to capture exactly what we thought we were capturing so that's that was sort of the genesis of of that approach yeah and i think also uh, another issue that maybe a lot of people don't realize about the assist percentage that's on basketball references you can kind of juice that by shooting more yourself right because it's right. measuring the percentage of your teammates field goals that you are assisting on well if there are fewer of your teammates field goals because you are shooting a ton therefore 
by shooting more, you are actually increasing that metric and making it look like you're a better passer, which, you know, it might be realistic to indicate that you are, but that's also not considering how many of your own field goals are assisted. It's, I like the way that you do it much better uh, i mean I, I guess the only thing that makes it a little bit difficult is that you're incorporating some of the tracking data in there as well can yeah. you explain how it is that, that you do that sure so uh with the with the tracking data they've sort of come up with a an algorithmic definition of a potential assist and this differs slightly from the scorekeeper assist in that you know it's a pass that leads directly to a score is how it is phrased in kind of the official scorekeeper um well or, or leads directly and, to a shot i think leads, no, yes uh, right. but yeah. yes the, the uh but but the, the for the potential assist it's just a basically any pass that uh, leads to a shot within with under two seconds of touch time and fewer than two dribbles. Now that's probably slightly restrictive in terms of there's probably situations where we'd see a guy take two tri- quick dribbles and score and we'd say, yeah, that's an assist, but I am kind of okay with it being too restrictive rather than being, um, as loosey-goosey as the official assist scorekeeping can be. And that allows us also to track, you know, assisted missed shots, which, you know, you probably have some influence on the guy making or missing the shot with your your quality of pass. But I think if we're talking about guys who do who play make, you shouldn't get bonus points because you're playmaking to Davis Bertans or penalized because you're uh you're playmaking to I don't know. Pick a pick a mediocre three point shooter who ends up on the lot on a lot of someone's passes. Uh, you you want to just pick someone on the Knicks? That's sure. Any any player. <laughs> yeah. To- if you're, yeah. You're you're if you're kicking it out to 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 Frank Nilakina. Yeah. It's ooh. Yeah. Um, that's that's not fair to Marcus Morris. Marcus Morris is having a wonderful shooting season. Um. But yeah, and I think it's fair to assume as well that if you're throwing a guy a pass and he shoots it pretty much immediately you probably did something to get the guy open unless you're just so late in the clock that the guy has to jack it up. But again, that's not necessarily going to be a lot of plays. So yeah, I do like that better. And, you know, especially someone like Trey young, where the Hawks have shot it so poorly from three point range and he's setting up a a lot of these plays you're taking away from credit for him when, you know, he's, he's setting up these open threes and the guys can't make the shots. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think it's, if you are, you can imagine what it might look like with better kind of wing talent around him. And maybe uh, as Kevin Herter gets more reintegrated back and John Collins is back soon, maybe th- some of those potential assists start to get paid off a little bit. Uh, but on the other on the other hand, though, I mean, sort of the genesis of the piece, uh, the, the, the heliocentrism bit is I kind of likened it. This is something I thought about even when Trey was in college, because he blew up statistical models in college because he was so central to everything his college team did. And I kind of was wondering if that's sort of there's a in, in college football, there's a phenomenon of kind of these these spread offense quarterback who put who quarterbacks who put up kind of silly passing numbers because college defenses can't keep up with five receivers running around and yada, yada, yada. But none of these guys are, are really. And again, I'm outside my comfort zone a little bit and so i'm oversimplifying sorry but uh, these guys aren't really pro prospects they're just putting up silly numbers and to some extent i think while trey is a obviously a a higher quality player than that the centrality of everything he does 
makes our existing modes of analysis of of what players are doing insufficient. And I think we saw this, you know, for for a number of years with Russell Westbrook. I mean, the fact that they were literally feeding him rebounds. I mean, not literally, figuratively, I suppose, feeding him rebounds. Um, and that, Wait, are, are you I, I implying that. that perhaps uh, perhaps our generation overuses the word literally to, uh, to they, some extent? I, I literally am implying that, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but and, and so it's not – and there's reasons why, like, the point guard getting a rebound and going is good, but at the same time, you're not – those kind of free rebounds that he's filling up on aren't as impactful as kind of the tougher rebounds that other players get. So uh, measures based on stats accumulated in kind of the normal run of play are insufficient to deal with teams playing in a radically different way. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does. I mean, and we've seen a lot of issues here. On Westbrook, yeah, maybe it's it doesn't, it, it all depends to what you're measuring, right? Like you, you need the context of it. Generally, we view a defensive rebound as the act of preventing an offensive rebound. Whereas for Westbrook, it, some of his rebounds certainly were like that, but you know, some of the missed free throw ones, for example, were not. And then it, it's really almost more of something that had an offensive value going the other way than the value of preventing the defense or, or the offense from getting the rebound at, on one end. So it, it's like people say all the time, oh, it's empty stats, you know. Sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. Sometimes they're measuring something a little bit different. It still has a value to know that this happened. You just can't say like, oh, you know, we got 10 of these. That's good. You know, that's it it seems like you have to be a little bit more nuanced. And and to your second point, it does seem really that NBA basketball overall has changed. And Kevin Pelton wrote a piece on this, how ESPN has made changes to RPM, for instance, to account for that, that they're sample now uh, that they're comparing players to uh, in terms of their box score prior in particular they've included tracking data is they're comparing it to more recent trends because the game is just totally different for that you know having comparing a player's box score to what was happening in the year 2000 and this gets to your point too about the heliocentrism it's kind of easier to do this now than it was back then just whether that's due to uh, spreading the floor more whether that's due to the style of defense uh, whether it's due to the referee whatever it is there's something that's making it easier now to have just this incredible amount of usage and to do that in a way that's actually going to drive efficient offense for your team I, well there's two different things i mean it's easier to accumulate stuff and i don't think we totally know yet how to measure if it's driving uh, efficiency for team. I mean, I think for... Well, well can't you just you know, look at how efficient the team is when the guy's on yeah, the floor? I, I think, well, I think for most of the guys that are in these, these massive usage positions, it's it's kind of self-evident. You know, if you're talking like, like Luka Doncic, LeBron, Giannis, like, yeah, obviously. And yeah. Well, the, well, and, and even, I, I guess also, maybe the question is like Westbrook 2017 young this year where you've got the average offense when he's on the floor and then it completely craters when he's off the floor is that because he's so good or is it more everything is built around him and so maybe he's not that good but then once he goes off the floor you're just totally dead because you don't have someone equivalent to him to run in the same system yeah, it's it's you've built so much around one player that it's it's you know, hard to necessarily see how good they are because it just doesn't work at all. 
if you you know if you, like you, you take a bad engine out of a car it it doesn't function at all but that doesn't mean it's the best engine ever because it's the difference between you know the car driving and not um so and i'm not you know and and it's more i'm not saying that you know these guys are bad engines so much as we just don't know enough yet about this kind of this 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 new phenomenon to to say especially for yeah. a team more kind of in the lower rungs and maybe not one of like the, these you know inner circle mvp candidates doing it i mean if those guys are doing it yeah that works that's great but how do you apply that to a team that is trying to get Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes, and it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside these things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since 
spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout please remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us better so uh, first of all who are these players that really are you would consider on heliocentric offenses at this point in time so the easy ones right now are harden obviously uh lebron Giannis, um uh, trey young luka Doncic. Um, actually, Westbrook is up there still because, which is makes uh, kind of the, the Rockets a almost a a, a binary star system, as uh, our friend Dave Dufour <laughs> put it. Uh, and and uh, they mentioned Trey Young, and at least early in the year, Kawhi. Though I think that that over the course of the season, that's probably going to as he gets more floor time with uh, Paul George. I think that's probably gonna. I use kind of a fifty percent cutoff. And I think he'll probably dip below that, especially in terms of his playmaking as he shares the floor and the ball more with, with Paul George. Um, so those were, those were the ones kind of through the first six weeks of the season or so. Um, obviously the, 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 uh, hard, you know, the kind of the top four MVP candidates, uh, have all been pretty successful at it. And I think I, I would say that's probably a general consensus that it's in some order LeBron, Giannis, uh, Harden and Luca. Um, are, are the top four candidates right now. And, and so it's kind of hard to argue with, with how it's worked for their teams, at least on a regular season basis. Um, you know, the, the jury is still sort of out on, on, on Trey Young. Like it's been better than not for Atlanta, but again, you wonder, uh, whether he hit he'll hit the cutoff of being good enough at this to drive them to be a high level team or not and that's not saying he can't it's just we don't know because it's it's you know there's been you know two or three guys a year playing this this way for the last 15 years and this this year so far there's seven so we're in very much uncharted territory and as you were alluding to before a lot of how the game is has played with you know spread hunting switches and and uh, playing five four and five out stuff like that lends itself more to to ball dominance than than kind of some of the the past uh, kind of equilibrium styles so um, we're gonna learn more about this I just don't know if, if it's always going to be a good thing for a team to play this way yeah because you would still think that the the way the talent is distributed in the league it, you really you've probably got you know your the top one a lot of times is better than everyone else i think that's actually we're at a unique period in time right now where there isn't necessarily a top one in the nba and then the top five and then maybe even the lower end of the top 10 is where you have a big drop off in player to just kind of merely all-star quality and so if you get below that level are, are players capable of doing it young is a really interesting example to me i think the bigger problem is his defense and maybe also that when you get later into you know a potential playoff scenario or against really good teams that have a, a lot of length and a lot of intensity that's where it can kind of break down a little bit for him i think against your average team it, it might be okay uh, you did mention something you you said the guys that are over 50 percent. so basically what that means is 
they are either shooting or setting someone else up to shoot on 50% of the possessions when they're in the game. Or or turnovers, yeah, or turning, yeah, or turning it over, on, uh, yeah, that makes sense. On, uh, and I'm and I'm I'm going on a chance basis, not a it's a not a possession basis, but it's a so obviously you can you get an offensive rebound, you've had two chances to score, so that's yeah, traditional usage stats are are calculated on a per chance basis, not a per possession basis. So it's just to keep it on the same scale. It's a minor adjustment, but it's it's functionally if you if you think about it as a possession, you're not terribly far wrong. Um, to answer your other question in terms of the younger guys who you could see getting to there, um, I mean, the obvious one so far, I think, is John Morant. Yeah. Um, and he might be, you know, uh, uh, you know, Amari Sankofa wrote a, a, an, a, an interesting piece today at The Athletic about, you know, worrying about his durability given how hard he falls a lot of the time. Yeah. But I, I do think that if, assuming that kind of gets worked worked out, I think he is physically probably a little more robust than Trey and so might be able to uh as you move up assuming his skills allow him to do it he might as you move up the competition ladder he might be better equipped to to handle kind of the 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 second round plus playoff defense which is kind of what you're alluding to when you're worrying about you know Trey as they as Atlanta progresses as a team um but that's that's the the younger guy who who jumps out to me as as uh you know being in that area um, just in terms of a guy who's able to ha- both handle the ball as much, make decisions, and uh, set up teammates. Um, I think I'll, some other guys, you know, we've we've seen Devin Booker probably have more success this year now that some of his ball handling duties have been removed. And I think that that's I think that's more common that 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 you know just the effort of doing everything is and and doing it at a high level for thirty plus minutes is um, you know. It's pretty hard for a lot of guys, and so I, I do think that there's kind of a uh, going to be something of a natural ceiling uh, on, on the number of guys who can do it, because most of the guys who do it, uh, again, Trey Young aside, are very physically imposing uh, two, three, four type type position players, and and I think that there's a lot to that that these kind of mid-sized and up players are getting the ball handling responsibility to be able to do this. I think that's a big part of it. And kind of why Trey is 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 kind of a separate thing because you look at the other other six guys; those are all very physically stout players, and and Trey obviously is not that. What about uh, Spencer Dinwiddie? Seems like he's kind of been doing that with Irving and Lavert out. Yeah, he's I I've, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but he's kind of in the forty percent range, and it's you know fifty yeah. percent is an is an arbitrary cutoff. But yeah, I mean there there's there have definitely been kind of teams. That have had very kind of ball dominant point guard play. Uh, Stan Van Gundy's teams tended to have uh, point guards who are in the in the you know in the forty percent range, where you know a guy like Reggie Jackson would uh, you know when he before he kind of physically declined as he has, he would always be among the league leaders in time time of possession, and that that allowed him to you know both shoot a lot and and end up with the ball in a lot of situations where his pass led to a shot. So he kind of so those players kind of end up in that forty percent range, um, but yeah, I think that that's I think that that Dinwiddie is a guy who has kind of um, been playing kind of the next level down with with Irving and Karis Levert out, uh, kind of removing a lot of the other other kind of uh, ball handling agitators that that uh, Brooklyn has. You know, as we're talking about this uh, and I'm thinking about it, I think this is a little bit more team and context dependent than it is necessarily 
the player and maybe you would say well hey some of these guys just aren't capable of doing this and that's why they're not but i think if you took say donovan mitchell in utah or you took victor oladipo when healthy or you took you know maybe De'Aaron fox isn't quite the level of score that we're talking about here so so maybe i should include i'm kind of just brainstorming yeah. about players um or you took say who's another good one? Oh, steph curry would be another one obviously if his team we're going to play that way. Um, you know, we saw at times D'Angelo Russell last year, I think was pretty close to that, especially with that starting group when uh, there basically were no other ball handlers on the floor. Um, and Levert was coming off the bench or was injured and Dinwiddie was coming off the bench. Those were other guys. So he was really the only guy who could dribble in, in their starting unit. So it, it does seem like there are a lot of it is context dependent. And these teams that want to like move the ball from side to side a lot, you know, your Utahs, your Golden States, it seems like they're just not going to play that way regardless. Whereas some of these other teams, if you know, you changed Curry or Oladipo or something to and put him on, say, Brooklyn, all of a sudden they would be one of these guys to me. Um, maybe it wouldn't look as good in the case of someone like Curry. I think it probably would, but uh, I think that's a really interesting to think about how much of this is just who's on the team what's their system and how much of it is well they're capable of doing this so they do yeah um i think that's that's right and i think that that's something again as this becomes more common we're going to have better tools to figure out whether or not it makes sense to play this way for teams like there are guys who could do it does it make more sense to be more egalitarian or does it make sense to put the go- put the ball in one guy's hand and and the further question is does that make sense more sense in the regular season than it does in the playoffs or vice versa uh and those are just like i don't have a good answer to that yet because it's a it's it's a reasonably new phenomenon and so it's it's one that is going to be interesting to to pay attention to over the next couple of years because obviously uh if it's the kind of thing that that shows it has postseason success um i think you know the nba being the copycat league it is it's going to be the kind of thing where okay we need our guy who's we need our quarterback basically and then if every team is playing with the functional equivalent of a quarterback then uh, then we're in a situation like you are in football where you, you need almost a different set of rules and heuristics to to analyze that guy's play than everyone else just because they're not playing the same game as everybody else. You know, it's interesting. I think when you get into the postseason with the number of minutes that these guys have to play, perhaps one of the flaws of this is these guys don't have any energy for defense and that just your defense is not going to be that good. You know, I think we've seen that with Houston's model, for example. And you also just, uh, we've seen some of these teams just get totally killed when that guy goes off the floor as well. And if you're not LeBron and you can't play 45 minutes in a postseason game like he has a lot of times, and even he, you know, we've seen his defensive effort wane uh, over the last couple of postseasons that he was in with the Cavs. So that could be obviously a, a flaw in this. And, you know, I think just if you have more angles to attack the defense, in the playoffs you know part of perhaps why Harden's efficiency has gone down in the playoffs is because of the the fact that this is just easier to deal with and prepare for and also just their better personnel you can't just beat your guy one-on-one a lot I think these heliocentric offenses they're not exactly like running a bunch of complex stuff that's like really difficult to prepare for it's just that you can't stop it uh, with most personnel and, and most teams in the regular season. Yeah, I think that the, the word you said there that was um, important was prepare. And 
it it is it's it is a lot of 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 kind of straightforward. Here's what we're doing. Stop it. Uh, I, I dare you. And you know, if you're 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 flying into town and you have you know uh, maybe half a practice and a shoot around to prepare, I mean, good luck to you. Um, if you're playing the same team, you know, seven times in twelve days, uh, you know, familiarity can breed you know comfort in this case. Uh, okay, well, we we know his when he gets into this situation, he's going to you know do an inside out dribble, cross back over, and then try to get to the free throw line. Okay, well, we can sit on that move, and now he's you know doing something else, and the thing that's been comfortable for him all year is is you know is, is taken away a little bit. And I think that you know I think that the the whole sixteen game player thing is overplayed to a degree, but only to a degree. Because, yeah, you can kind of, you can start to plan for and just by experience be used to some of these pet moves. And as you said, um, you are kind of necessarily limiting the variety of your offense if you're kind of sp- uh, stripping things down and, and making one guy do, do most of everything. I would imagine that this is only going to continue because, hey, it's a lot easier to get one star than it is two. And you, you also... You can draft guys, and you can hopefully teach them to shoot. I mean, teams or uh, players are just getting better at shooting three pointers. I think that's a big part of why we're seeing more of them. So it, it does seem like a model that is somewhat easily replicable. Maybe not to the level of oh, we're going to have a top three offense with this guy on the floor and you know a bunch of slubs like Houston has done at times uh, when guys have been injured over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, you're not going to have James Harden or LeBron, but maybe you can get to. You know, being tenth in offense, uh, playing this style. I mean, I think the the Nets are an interesting, uh, an interesting experiment in this regard as well. Um, well, so you mentioned preparation. Let, let's change topics here. Another thing that you wrote about uh, with John Hollinger last week was just the processes in front offices, and so not necessarily drawing on your experience with the Bucks, but I, I know that you talked to a ton of your colleagues around the league. So you know, we're here in December right now. Trade deadline has been moved up. I'm sure front offices loved that. Uh, uh, in- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm like, like like having the week off for All Star break is amazing. Like it, it's it's it, it's uh, like there. I think I actually think that that people are like in the last couple of years. I know of four or five people who like front office types who well, let's get married that weekend kind of thing where before i mean this is you know woe is us kind of thing right but there's a fairly narrow summer window for for when you can actually like get married in the nba calendar and just adding a adding an extra week to that is you know uh plus hey it's february let's go to hawaii and get married that's that has some uh that has some appeal i would think yeah well actually I, you know oddly enough i was being sarcastic but i i was stupidly being sarcastic because i was thinking like oh now you just have everything has to be condensed into two you know two fewer weeks to get ready for the trade deadline but i'm sure that's really not uh, that difficult to deal with when you also then get time off afterwards which is is nice i love the current format personally because you know i can go on like a week-long ski trip but uh I, I would have thought for teams that it, you're just having to prepare that much more quickly is difficult. But back to my question here. Um, you are, you know, about this time, you're going into the trade deadline for whatever reason, deadline spur action, as uh, Andrew Brandt likes to say, uh, trade talks don't really heat up until maybe the two weeks before the deadline. So what do you want to just have as a front office that you have prepared to be ready so that when a potential deal comes up, you can 
say, hey, we have this material to potentially evaluate this move? I think you want to have an idea of the landscape in terms of, you know, who is who is available, who's gettable and who should we just, you know, we'll do diligence and, and, and check in on a week out from the trade deadline, but they're just not available. Um, just to to sort of prioritize your 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 scenarioizing. That's not a word. I just made it up. But to to be able to prioritize that kind of within the realms of kind of possibility, instead of you know the instead of the the sort of serial trade machining and and there and there are teams that kind of just shotgun offers out there and and for and that that works for some teams and for other teams are much hey, more deliberate hey, uh, about d- things. D- Daryl listens to this podcast every once in a while. You know, I, I we would, wouldn't want to uh, wouldn't want to call him out here. Actually, I guess I just kind of did that. But yeah, Houston well, definitely has oh, the so, reputation of like, yeah, let's try, let's just throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. Which you know, they've they've been very successful. It probably actually works, but to, that's slightly to the annoyance of their colleagues. Well, I'll say I'll say this is that that, that at least that gets you know an, an offer out there. And, you know, he's never offended. The folks from Houston never are offended if you say no. So it's not like, uh, you know, there's never, no, you're not interested in that. All right, we'll move on. We'll, 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 we'll check back if there's something else or just getting that kind of a concrete idea on the table is sometimes the hardest step. And so just getting someone to throw something out there maybe creates the, the basis for more substantive discussion. So, you know, it's, uh, so I think I would say that, that that at least there's no there's no sense of aggrievement when you say no to an offer that you might think is ridiculous. Like I, I just thought I'd ask and move on, uh, and that and that works, um, and that's certainly better than it's not the annoying guy in your fantasy league who's trying to you know sell you sell you a bag of goods and then is a, then is mad that you don't see why this this is a great deal for you too kind of thing. Uh, so it 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 you know the volume of it might be bothersome, but the process of it is. In, at least in my kind of limited experience with it, it was fine. So I assume that when you, just in the normal course of business, you've got pro personnel that is, you've got reports basically on every player in the league throughout the season. You've got uh, analytics that you can run on every player in the league. You have an idea of what draft picks are worth. You probably have an idea uh, around you know end of January of at least, okay, you know, who might be available you know what is the universe of players that might be available where we're likely to be picking this year with our pick and therefore what is the, its value to us or what is the value of another pick in this range to us so uh, is that realistic to say that teams in theory have all of that information just available at their fingertips just in the normal course of business yeah i would say so um and and you say like there's you know there's um from an analytic standpoint there's kind of the the benchmarks that you normally live on. And then there's also, as you kind of move into specific scenarios, you kind of go a little bit more uh, bespoke and, and, and ad hoc just in terms of what's the, what are the intricacies of this, of this particular deal. And that's not stuff you can necessarily always do at scale because you're never, you know, the questions that surround any given deal are, are somewhat unique. So you have tools kind of ready to to attack those but you haven't necessarily like you haven't necessarily blanketed every possible transaction with you know the theoretical win ad of every possible interaction of players that is legal on the salary cap you haven't you you haven't done that so you kind of 
you wait yeah. till there's something a little more concrete. But yeah, in general, uh, ideally, you kind of you have sort of your board of the of the things that are possibly actionable, and you kind of while still keeping tabs on uh, you know everything that's else is going on, and and maybe trying to figure out what other pieces might be moving because what domino might fall next if a team has you know uh, a, a team might be dealing their their backup point guard to make salary filler and you, you might see a way to you have an extra point guard and you might see a way to pick up an extra pick just filling that need or something like that knowing that they're going to make that move lets you kind of get on their board um uh so it's it's not just you know the deals that are possible for you but as much as possible the entire landscape of the league to see what the moving pieces are and that's you know that's the goal i don't think anyone ever has full visibility um but that's what you're kind of working towards with your with your scouting, with your intel, you know, with your analytics. Yeah. So it seems to, to me like, again, I haven't talked to a lot of people uh, about this, uh, but you kind of you have just your overall, hey, this is the work that we normally do throughout the season. We've got an idea on pretty much every player and draft pick and stuff that just in general, then maybe as you're getting close you think, okay, what are the realistic scenarios for us? You've had some preliminary discussions. You're now going to work up those, you know, kind of second level of scenarios. And then maybe once you really get down to concrete proposals, you've got a third level. But it, it maybe it's tough sometimes to get to that third level if, you know, you're working out the permutations of this deal, you know, on deadline day, it's getting to be you know, 3 p.m. Eastern and okay, no, hey, we, we want to uh, throw in another first-round pick. What does that do to it? Sometimes maybe you don't have time to actually work all that up from a numerical standpoint if you're on an analytics staff and your GM has to, you know, you have to have imbued him or he has to have imbued himself with a working knowledge of what is the value of all these pieces so he can make those decisions on the fly. Yeah, that's, that's part of it. But the other part is um, there's also some other fairly significant stakeholders in, in, you know, if you're, if you're talking about swapping your 11th guy for a second round pick, you know, you don't, you don't, it, that, that's not necessarily you need great ownership input on, but for most deals, like you need the medical, you need, uh, you need to, you, at some point, like the coach has to be involved in, in these discussions too, uh, just to, to know what's going on. And you probably, you know, want the input of, of, of the coaches of the, you know, certainly of when you're talking about trading for another player, um, you know, the, 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 the assistant coaches in the film room staff for whom that team is their scout. They probably are pretty familiar with, you know, if if a certain if one assistant coach and one of the film room folks like Brooklyn has been their their scout all year, they've watched you know sixty seventy percent of Brooklyn's games in detail and coded them. They might have some things to say if you're talking about a Spencer Dinwiddie uh, in terms of how he might fit and how he does certain things, things they like, things they don't like. Um, so they so getting them involved in the process. Then obviously, if you're anytime you're talking about you know significant franchise moving stuff whether it's long-term contracts or you know a player who is heavily involved in like your your kind of your your business and marketing side like at a certain point like ownership has to know too so leaving all that to deadline day is i would say pretty foolhardy to not sure to, to not have have as many of those you know eyes dotted and t's crossed you know a couple days out um you know this is this is something you know more, hey, this is something that's a possibility. Uh, we'll let you know if it becomes a real thing. 
kind of what do you think? And and the what do you think is somewhere between a courtesy and a actually depending on, you know, the stakeholder and the the the, the size of the deal, somewhere between, you know, a veto point and a courtesy. And so those are all things that are being navigated at the same time. So getting, you know, getting the stuff on the board as as people like to say, a week out is pretty important just to be able to run it through all those different kind of uh, processes, all those different filters to make sure you're you've got your bases covered from you know all angles. And you know when the trade call happens, obviously there's there's a there's an exhaustive kind of medical exchange of information. Um, so you but you want to know what you're getting. You don't want to be surprised. Like you theoretically, if something comes up, it's like a home inspection for a house, right? You can you know you can you can back out of a deal if something comes up. But nobody wants to do that, so you don't want to be surprised yeah. by anything that comes up, you know, in that in in like the the medical as part of the trade call. All right, got two more topics that we talked a little bit about here uh, beforehand. I want to ask you: you obviously watch a, a ton of games. Uh, you got uh, access to uh, more stats than us common blokes. Uh, second second pot in a row. Actually, the word bloke has been used. Uh, Josh Lloyd called uh, who did he call him? I think it was, oh yeah, I think it was Aaron Baines. He called him a, oh no, it was Zion Williamson. He called him a big bloke yesterday. Uh, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's the best description I, I've heard from him. Uh, so who are some of the players in the league that you think, as you're looking at these teams, might be ready for a larger role? Whether that's, hey, this guy isn't playing at all. He, we think we could handle a, a rotation role or that we think are in a rotation role and, you know, maybe could be a starter, whether it's somewhere else or uh, on their current team. Um, this is something that that's, that's kind of been talked about a lot. I think you and uh, you and John uh, Hollinger have talked about this on, on your guys pod. Um, and, and I kind of agree with him that one of the names who he hasn't had a great year so far, but a guy who seems like he could fit uh, in, in a lot of situations is Malik Beasley in Denver. And obviously yeah. they have, just you know, they have a ton of kind of kind of wing players, uh, and and you know if if they're going to integrate uh, Porter Jr. in as more, um, he, maybe he becomes the odd man out, and he's an RFA this summer, and but he's you know he's got decent size and athleticism and can shoot it, and you know there's there's a spot for 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 people like that in the league if they can you know if they can make shots and 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 hold up defensively, so that's the that's the obvious one. Um, yeah, well, Denver. I, I mean, they've got uh, whoever isn't playing in that right. rotation. Uh, you know, is the obvious candidate here. Hernan Gomez has been someone that's been on uh, Danny and my uh, and uh, and Kevin Pelton's too list uh, of these uh, players for some time here as well. Yeah, Hernan Gomez is is. I, mean, I feel like Beasley is an easier fit just because nobody ever has enough wings except for yeah. Denver apparently. But so. You know, the, it, it's it's hard to it's hard to see a team that couldn't just kind of plop him down and use him. Um, you know, I think it's been kind of the 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 Fortnite of Davis Bertans uh, going on right now. So I, I don't know <laughs> if he's um, obviously he's someone who I, I know you're not just talking about like trade targets, but guys ready for a bigger role. But he's been someone who is who I've been a a, a big fan of for a long time, and he's kind of illustrating why this year. Um, I don't know a guy who I, I since I've I've written about the Knicks recently um Damian Dotson seems like a guy who could be an interesting yeah. you know piece uh, you know not 
he's not gonna, he's not going to be a starter anywhere, but a guy who can give you some you know decent size and shooting from like a like a two guard spot off the bench. Um, then you know the uh, in Indy's got you know one at at some point do they break up Miles Turner and, and Sabonis uh, to. I think Batadze's a guy who has a lot of uh, interesting potential and it's yeah. going to be hard for him to really get to show and flourish, uh, you know, playing behind those guys, especially because I don't think they love to play two bigs. They just kind of have to because those guys are there and make as much money as they do. And, and they could, they're maybe a, a, a wing or two short from being able to, especially with Oladipo out from being able to play um, without kind of two traditional bigs. Um, so those, those are some of the ones that kind of, kind of come to mind. Um, uh, Malik Monk has been frisky recently. Maybe he, maybe in a, in a, a different environment where he, there's perhaps a little more creation around him. He could flourish a little bit. Um, yeah, well that's, that's, so you think he's not just like shameless gunner, 50% true shooting. Uh, like, I, I, I don't know. I think Charlotte might be the best possible environment for him like like Borrego I mean you look at what Borrego is getting out of DeJounte Graham or I'm sorry Devante Graham and uh I was just looking at the Spurs page because I have someone I want to talk about with the Spurs so I saw yeah. DeJounte Murray and it confused me or and Rozier I mean is having the most efficient season of his career they take a lot of threes they space the floor they don't defend anybody but I, I think like Young has been in a position where he should be able to succeed uh under Borrego to me at least yeah though I mean I think he has the ball in his hands at the top of the floor more than I think would be ideal for him. I think he's, I think he is, I see he, he has some, he has some dynamism, but I think it's more pump fake and go kind of thing rather than, than having like a lot of shake up top. Um, and I, I you know, I could be wrong about that. Um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think it seems like he's got to shoot 40% from three to be a valuable player. And I just, I don't know that he has that in him. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's fair. I mean, and that's in you know that this is you know getting several months ahead of ourselves, but sure. I often I often ding guys in the draft for okay, how is he good if he doesn't shoot forty percent from three? And if the answer is well, he's not, yeah, it's like you know, well we have we have the hardest time for pre- pre- predicting shooting. So like I'm fine being wrong on a guy like Landry Shamit, like he's a better pro uh, than than I thought he was going to be because he's the guy of that profile who turns out yes, okay, he's a really good shooter. Um, you know, if you can if you can tell me beforehand that you know which of these guys is going to be like that high level shooter, um, I mean, everyone thinks they can, but you know, history has proven that hey, history kind of makes fools of us all that way. But that's, yeah, I mean, Jimmer know, Fredette like, was this, yeah, right. Jimmer Fredette was this awesome shooter, you know, and, and I mean, how can you necessarily? It seems obvious in retrospect, but to say, all right, uh, JJ Redick was going to be good. And Adam Morrison was going to be bad, and Jimmer Fredette was going to be bad. Uh, not that those three players have anything in common at all, <laughs> but you know, right. be, be, uh, uh, but yeah. So, uh, but to say that you knew that at the time, I mean, now we can look back and say, okay, Redick has a you know just more explosiveness running off screens. He doesn't need to have the ball. He doesn't need to attack one on one. But to say that his shot was going to go in and those guys wasn't, you know, I don't, I don't know that that was a thousand percent predictable so so here would be my counterpoint to what you're saying though yeah you know what i i agree with you i don't know that we can predict exactly who's going to be able to shoot it incredibly well i think we have a pretty good idea you know that steph curry was going to make open threes for example but uh you know you didn't know if he's how good he was going to be off the dribble um so the you may not be able to predict that as well as some other skills 
but you need someone that player is so valuable that maybe you just need to take a chance on them anyway and just hope that it works out because it's the payoff is so large sure though i think you're talking about a di- i mean there's a difference between you know a guy who you know the the potential of steph curry being a, an on ball player and you know cam johnson going as high as he did and working out about as well as could be expected. And I still don't, and I I know you've talked about this. I still don't love that pick even with him working out that way. So it's, so yeah, Yeah, sure. Obviously. What are you aiming at is kind of the thing. And that was with a player like monk uh, who I I didn't think was, was necessarily an on ball player with a guy like Shamit, who I don't think is, is, is an on ball player necessarily at, at the NBA level. Um, that's so that's that's maybe a different kind of group that we're talking about these kind of these these kind of pure chucker types um if they they need something else some other way that they're going to be good uh or have a chance to be good for me to be really excited about them but that's we're very far afield of where we started uh it's more me well well, so i i got one for you (laughs) yeah um it's rare that you would say this about a 33 year old but is damari carroll just dead now like he's put he's played hasn't played at all in since december 3rd and his season high in minutes is 17 he's played in 10 games i mean he was solid for brooklyn last year like i thought he was a good value at you know seven million a year they signed him for uh two years they they, he was like their big signing and they just never even play him like did he just like fall off a cliff like i would think he could help somebody still i mean i think that that's I, I think that that uh, I mean he's had kind of knee he's kind of had knee stuff basically since since his his last year in Atlanta didn't he he like he hurt himself yeah. in the playoffs and I don't think he's he's ever really been kind of the same physically since then and and you know with with a lot of these degenerative knee kind of things it's it it you can hold on until you can't so that might be yeah. some of it. Um, yeah, I mean, he was 33, as I yeah. said, but yeah, it, it does seem like he hasn't gotten much of a shot. Um, yeah, maybe he shoots too many threes for San Antonio. And it's, <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, you know, Pop may not appreciate, Pop's such a traditionalist, he may not appreciate Carroll's just like, Carroll might have, get the most free throw attempts, have the highest free throw rate of any player who just can't do anything <laughs> with the ball at all like he'd like a 45 percent free throw rate last year by just like throwing his body into guys from 15 feet and and getting in the line um chris boucher is another one i would i would point out i think he, he's, he might be ready for to be in a rotation which he's not when toronto is healthy he's he's so skinny and and he's so much older than you think he is so i don't like yeah he is 27 right yeah i mean he was he but, was but a, i mean we're he, not talking about prospects right. here. we're just talking about right who who could potentially be in a rotation right now who isn't sure uh i mean the, the question with him is is does he shoot it well enough to be guarded on offense and maybe um so that, that that that's an interesting one certainly um he's also he's 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 very slight yeah i mean i guess i mean i guess we're nitpicking here so yeah that's i mean that's a, that's an that's a, an interesting one um i mean tr- toronto also has a way of of making some of their fringe guys look good um, because I think Nick Nurse is good about being able to put guys in positions uh, where their their strengths are highlighted and their weaknesses are masked. 
So um, I, I think that 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 probably helps some of those guys. You know, the the, the Terrence Davises and the Chris Boucher's of the world, um, and and you know Norm Powell. Now that he's back, you know, in 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 good graces. Um, it's not to say they're bad players. It's just you know it's good coaching to be able to allow a guy to to flourish. Um, and whether that's that that is translatable to another situation, I don't know. But that's not a it's not a ridiculous uh, it's not a ridiculous shout for for Boucher. Um, any other ones you had? No, this is. I mean, this is something that I've I've thought I've been thinking about a lot this year, and it's it, it's aside from kind of the 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 young guy uh, needing to you know needing to spread his wings, you know, and, and it's like you know you're talking like second third year guys then on rookie deals who just haven't got a chance yet. I mean, it's it's uh, yeah. Well, well so did, it, but did any more of those come to mind for you? I mean, I think that is uh, but uh, kind of interesting yeah. Here. The the one that gets talked about a lot that I'm not sure I see the offensive uh, dynamism and aggression is Jonathan Isaac. Um, he's he's never kind of been that guy who wants to to yeah. who is able to take on a. I see what people see in the potential, and he's defensively he's going to get all defense consideration this year. I just don't know if he if he has that level of aggression to be kind of a a higher in the pecking order offensive player. Um, and that to really break out, I think that's what he would need. Um, so yeah, those are. I'm sure. I, I'm sure if I sat down and looked at all 30 rosters, I'd, I'd come up with a couple more. But it's again, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this this year, and and kind of the ones you keep coming back to are like, you know, your Malik Beasley's. Um, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, the the young guys uh, who might be finishing up rookie contracts, but uh, on teams that have a lot of a lot of depth, there are a lot of teams that have a pretty good depth right now. Um, you know, the Pacers, especially when Oladipo comes back, they're going to be, you know, whether it's Lamb, Edmund, Edmund Sumner. I know, uh, Jay Michael talks him up a lot as being maybe ready for a larger role, but even, even without Oladipo, they have enough guards where they don't need him. Um, let's see if there's a, yeah, P- Pacers, uh, again, built to this really deep roster because you, you mentioned Batadze uh, as well. Um, Let's see if anyone else comes to mind here for me. I mean, I think a lot of Milwaukee people. I know you're not going to comment on them because you're kind of on a on a uh, Bucks blackout until the end of the year. But uh, DJ Wilson is one that a lot of people talk about. I've never been quite as high on him, but I do think if you can shoot and you have some defensive mobility, I would like to see what you can do. Um, but but they are, are kind of more committed to playing that uh, you know playing the traditional big playing Ilyasova uh, ahead of him, playing Lopez ahead of him. So it's tough for him to get on the floor. And those those guys are good players, obviously. Um, Still interested. I don't know that he's ready to actually help a team yet in a rotation, but I do want to see what Siku Dumboya is going to do this year. I'm actually hoping he's going to play since I'm in Vegas right now at the showcase, see what he's going to do. Um, Are we giving up on... So I, I have, I actually have a. Yeah. Are, since you, if you start with something, are we giving up on um, a guy who has probably been shoehorned into the wrong role this year? Is Lonzo Ball? He should, he should never play small forward. Like, uh, and and <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, he he doesn't. Uh, um, and and just because of how their their roster has kind of worked out this year, he's kind of been forced into, and he's probably taken a step back. But I think in the right situation i still think he's a he's a he's a pretty interesting player with his kind of his his uh his feel and and kind of his ability to affect the game as an off-ball defender as much as anything else as well as kind of a ball mover uh and a a, a transition offensive player so i think that there's i i still have i still have kind of high hopes for alonzo in in the right situation just with this 
with kind of the non-Zion version of New Orleans. It's just obviously not happening for him. God, I think back to when I thought this New Orleans team could actually have a pretty good defense with Lonzo and Drew Holiday and that Zion would play and also not be bad defensively. The, the preseason dispelled those notions that Derek Favors was pretty good defensively, that they could actually put some decent defensive lineups out there. That uh, has not been the case uh, so far this year. Uh, maybe that's coaching, maybe that's personnel. But yeah, he, he hasn't necessarily had the defensive impact. And it, you mentioned he's been in the wrong role. Like, I mean, what is the right role for a... 6'6 point guard who can't run pick and roll and is a pretty average shooter I mean I mean offensively the one thing that he does well is pass it but he doesn't really have much gravity in the half court I mean he's like a Ben Simmons who can't get to the rim and dunk and maybe can hit a three every once in a while like that's a it's a hard player to find a role for offensively yeah I mean, I think his like his idealized role would be a little bit like what uh, Matisse Thybul is 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 kind of you know kind of a a, a chaos agent uh, defensively. Um, and then obviously like Thybul is is stouter and and probably is better able to come up with blocks and stuff around the basket. But uh, Ball would is better able to if you get a stop and kind of get into a broken floor, able to make some things happen. So that's um, not not totally the same thing. But I think that's kind of the area. Yeah, I, I don't see I don't see uh, Thibel as being, or I see Thibel as being like an order of magnitude beyond where Lonzo is defensively, both in terms of his size and in terms of the, his playmaking shot, like the shot block and the perimeter, the deflections. I mean, like I think it's uh, like Thibel to me. It might be like the best rookie I've ever seen at that. I mean, that's that's probably fair. I mean. You know, Thibel is is kind of the master of making things happen right now. Just, just uh, (laughs) kind of the no, just the the up to stuff test. He's 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 up to stuff, which is um, you know, like you say, is 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 valuable. Um, So maybe yeah, I mean now that's that's the style, not necessarily the impact. Yeah. Um, Okay. Fair enough. And again, you're hoping for uh, a little bit more dynamism, especially in kind of broken floor offense. Than, than Thibault can give you um, because you know uh, oh, is, oh you, you'd like him to be able to you'd like him to be able to dribble more than like <laughs> twice in a row before he loses it is that, yeah uh, that's that's usually yeah I was actually for, I was sad that I didn't get a chance to talk to Rich Hoffman about the Sixers attempts to break Toronto's press in that game last week because he was, he had like a whole like ten minute rant on his his podcast about that um okay last topic here this is a segment that i've been wanting to start with you because it comes up when we talk a lot and also you like me are a simpsons aficionado we call it old man shakes fist at cloud uh, <laughs> with me with me being about to be 40 and you in your 40s uh Sell me I, out I remember like uh I, well <laughs> I, I remember a, a girl that i knew once that, uh who, who was younger than me was making fun of me when i turned 31 and I was like, "What? I turned thirty, like thirty-one. There's nothing wrong like that." She's like, "Oh no, 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 no! You're not. You, you didn't just turn thirty. You're now in your 30s. <laughs> and I was like, "Ah, oh, shit!" <laughs> yes, I am, I am uh, now in my forties. It is true. Yes. <laughs> you're ba- like you basically you turned forty-one, and now you're like essentially you might as well have been like eight years older than <laughs> like you might as well just be forty-nine at that point. Uh, okay, so. We're each going to pick two things that have annoyed us this NBA season uh, or, or about the, the season in general. Uh, of No matter how small is the caveat, you could pick the smallest thing 
that just got your goat. Go ahead. Shake your fist at a cloud. Okay. So I've got one that doesn't matter and one that does. And neither of them really matter. But the one that doesn't matter is this stupid hot potato thing with shot clock violations at the end of the game. It's just it's it's dumb because those turn shot clock turnovers are not charged individual players. So it doesn't matter who's holding the ball. Just hold on to the ball, walk off the court. It's it's it doesn't affect your stats. It's it's at least with like the 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 player releasing the full court heave a tenth of a second after the buzzer, like I, that's bad. But at least I understand. At least that is affecting their stats as traditionally counted. You don't even get the turnover for that. So just hold on to the ball and stop bouncing it off each other's chest. <laughs> well, isn't isn't this really the uh, the point of an analytics team to tell the players this? Isn't it, all we hear at Sloan? It's like, oh, you have to be able to communicate things to uh, to the basketball people. Like, isn't this the number one job of an analytics team? I mean, I hope that 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 kind of thing is not the number one job of any analytics team in the league. And if it is for for interview, I'm sorry because that's. That if if that was the level of of stuff you were you were left with, I'm sorry. It's <laughs> yeah. W- w- one of the things we we can't talk about, but that I find most amusing in, in our private conversations is when you tell me about the some of the completely ridiculous tasks that uh, your analytics friends uh, uh, are asked to do around the league that they complain to you about, and I just I, I th- those are just amazing conversations. I I love those. So um, all right, my first one. And this is going to sound completely insane because this team is actually, let's see here. This team is actually 12 and 2 in clutch games uh, per NBA.com. The LA Lakers crunch time offense. They have a 17.7 net rating in the clutch. They're 12 and 2. Offensive rating 105.6. Defensive rating, they've been awesome, eight, uh, 88. Obviously, these things don't necessarily project future past performance is not indicative of future results here necessarily with some of this crunch time stuff but it's just so much especially if they have any kind of a lead lebron just holding the ball getting to a step back going to his left with two on the shot clock after zero passes their crunch time maybe every once in a while the throw it into the post to ad and that's it they don't run anything sometimes they don't even do a pick and roll it's just so incredibly stagnant, and it, it, it seems like some of these games just end up being closer than they have to be because their crunch time offense is bad. Again, I realize this is going to be something where this is much more of a film take than a stats take because, you know, even clutch offense of 105, that's not bad because everything slows down at that point, um, and it's hard to score in those situations. But just, like, it could be better. Just run something. Like, you don't need to just dribble the air out of the ball and take a step back to your left every time LeBron like you you're too good to be taking those kind of crappy shots and, and yeah they go in and you look really awesome and it's like the big highlight on Sports Center of putting the game away but it's not the best way to score uh, and yeah you want to run the clock down at, at the very end but how about just like a pass or some kind of movement or something the uh the rubber band effect is real and this is part of it like this is you know if you're if you're not if you're familiar with the rubber band effect it's basically saying that you know there is a uh it's kind of like the no way game in Madden where oh you're up 20 so the computer's going to play really awesome now there's actually it's a demonstrable effect in the NBA that the team that is ahead plays worse on offense and um 
you know, the, the in, it, with a small lead early in the game, it's not a big thing. The later in the game and the bigger in the lead, it kind of uh, it becomes more of a thing. And then you know, you get into this you know this prevent offense almost where we're preve- we're preventing ourselves from getting a real shot. Um, and and yeah, I think that's a I think that's a fair thing to worry about. Um, you know, there are situations where I think that, um, one of my personal hobby horses is that, you know, in the tie game clock off situation, the, the, I think that quote running something is overrated, but this is not what you're talking about. That's, that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about there's a minute and a half left and we're up two and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to dribble the ball at the, at the, at 40 feet from the basket and take a 28 foot contested three pointer, um, is not, it's not good process. Okay, what's your next one? Uh, sort of. You you mentioned the Sports Center highlight. Mine is um, the uh, the celebration of massive statistical achievements in games teams lose by twenty. And uh, we talked about him earlier. <laughs> I'm I'm looking at you, Trey Young. And it's not Trey Young's fault, but like you know, they, they the Hawks get beat by 22, and Trey Young has 37 and 11. And there's you know Trey Young with another big game. It's like okay, like so. They lost it. Like, at how many of those points are scored when when the game hasn't has in any doubt at all, and how many of them were scored when the game had become sort of a, a an exhibition slash like reps scrimmage? And it's fine. It's better to do that than not, I suppose. But it's like you know, I'm not the the stats and fake games phenomenon is has always been one that's kind of bugged me a little bit, and that's sort of the the manifestation of it I've seen so far this year. So 16 to 29, 42 points, eight assists, three turnovers, seven to 13 from three, 41 minutes in a 143 to 120 loss uh, in a, in a game that had like 106 possessions last night. It does seem a little odd that he would play 41 minutes in a game that they lost by 23. And I mean, it seems like he pretty clearly was left in to get his 40 uh, because the game was I, I didn't watch this game i just uh, you know because it's uh down in las vegas but the game was out of reach after basically the the you know the knicks led by 20 at halftime so it does seem a little odd well um, and then the, the, the flip yeah. side of that is that then this morning there's like oh the knicks won by 20 they they showed why they could be a problem in a couple of years it's like uh no <laughs> like that, that that may be true. They may have, you know, uh, RJ Barrett and Mitchell Robinson could end up being a nice core. I don't think this particular game has any particular bearing on that whatsoever. Um, but, you know, got to get excited about something, I suppose. You know what we should do sometime? I was just thinking about this. It would be like an NBA version of who's more grizzled. Did you ever see that uh, on Saturday Night Live, like the game show? <laughs> Which one of us can be the crustier old man? Oh yeah, yeah, that that would be pretty good. We're getting we're getting close here. Here's my last one: broadcasts missing plays to show a replay oh or a God. graphic. Uh, and I know this this definitely kills anybody who's trying to break down tape and has like film from Synergy, especially because baseline. Like, how about this on a baseline out of bounds play when you're like the team is under the basket and they could score immediately? Like, guess what? Most baseline out of bounds plays are run to get a shot immediately. So just don't show anything on a baseline out of bounds under the scoring team's basket. Like that is just, all right, you want to do it when they're bringing the ball up floor? Okay, maybe after a dead ball, fine. I'm good on that. But at the minimum, at minimum, just like go with like the box and show me like the live action in the corner 
while you're showing me this graphic. Like Spencer Dinwiddie had a ridiculous dunk uh, on the Sixers a couple of days ago on a baseline out of bounds. And the Sixers broadcast just completely missed it. Thankfully, I was showing the Nets broadcast, which is awesome. Uh, but people <laughs> tweeted at me because they know that this is my uh, my old man shakes fist at cloud issue. Producers, none of whom listen to this show, don't do it on baseline out of bounds. Just don't do it. If only there was technology that you could do both at once. If only. <laughs> All right, man. This was a, a ton of fun. Uh, at Seth Partno, P-A-R-T-N-O-W, which you can also see from uh, the title of this show, is where you can follow him at, at The Athletic as well, where he's doing, uh, you hear a lot of this uh, groundbreaking stuff, really uh, pushing the frontiers of public basketball knowledge once again. Um, what do you? Uh, what did you write about this week? Uh, so uh, earlier this week, I wrote uh, about um, it was not 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 necessarily a statty piece. It was just uh, Fisdale got fired, and a lot of other coaches are on the hot seat. And it's not to say that you can't be disgruntled with your coach, but a lot of the things that people get mad at coaches for uh, are sort of just the tip of the iceberg of what a coach does, and a lot of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes, um, kind of player development, dealing with the organization as a whole, working with medical staff, getting everyone like through an NBA season. Uh, it's it's really hard to describe how much of a grind an NBA season or NBA regular season is. And you can you know you can talk all you want about the luxury of the travel. You're still if you're playing four games in four cities in six nights. There's just a lot of stuff going on, and that's a lot of time these people are spending with each other. And so part of the coach's job is to get people through that with relative sanity. Um, and so these are like you know that's not something that's going to show up in an X and O's breakdown or you know a, a, an interview after the game, but that's that's part of the job also. So just remember that the job is a little bit bigger than kind of what we see during the game. Uh, that's one. Uh, publishing uh, later today, we're recording this on Wednesday, I think, is just kind of a some, I'm doing a weekly kind of notes column where uh, noted that the 76ers have been, among other things, the 76ers have been really good against the other top teams in the league, and that in the past has shown itself to be a, a reasonable predictor of uh, of ultimate playoff success. Um, kind of followed up on, on some stuff on, uh, on Chris Paul's ability to uh, draw fouls in the bonus which is you know talk about old man shakes fist at cloud uh chris paul shakes fist at ref and then shoots two free throws for his trouble um, <laughs> and then uh chris paul qualifies as an old man but in yeah basketball terms. yeah uh, definitely. Um, and then, then later this week, I'm uh, I'm writing a I'm doing a Q and A Q&A about the the Grizzlies, and um, been pretty excited to dig in on John Morant a little bit, who is a kind of an exciting prospect and has had I think an unheralded like an un unsung how good he's been so far. Oh, he's so good. And, and he's, I mean, if you're if you're not watching him, especially because guys like him, I, he's like he's too dumb to know better now about like hey maybe i shouldn't try and jump over three people every time i go to the rim but it certainly is awesome when he does do it so yeah. uh catch it now before he gets hurt again and can't do it anymore or he wises up and uh plays a little more conservatively because it's and, awesome but, to watch right now and on top of that it's not just his his uh his the spectacularness he's been for for a high usage rookie he hasn't been in pretty rare company as far as his efficiency goes i mean it's it's kind of we're in sort of uh a blake griffin luka Doncic kind of territory of of super high usage while also being being pretty efficient and you know it's a it's a, a good group to be in that that he's so far it's early things could come back down to earth he's not going to shoot 43 percent from three probably but still 
Um, so he's been really good. They're they're kind of an interesting team. Brandon Clark is a very interesting player. Uh, so writing about them for probably Friday. All right, sounds good, Ben. Thanks again uh, for joining us, uh, and uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Another fun pod with uh, Ben Taylor finishing out the All Decade team. Talk to you all then. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy.